reach for the sky, boy. Rolex work. Welcome, everybody, to a very special edition of Doing the Favor podcast. I'm your host, Eric Brown. You can follow me on Twitter at EricBrown740, but of course, always follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, and now TikTok by searching at Doing the Favor. With me, as always, he's the sexual, intellectual, double H, the Husky heartthrob leader of the Husky Army, my mutual host, Barry Frost. Barry, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, man. Excited to be here. We've got a great show tonight and a, a super, super great guest. Super straight guest. I can't even begin to talk about how excited I am about this. A very special interview. This man was a special guest of Shaquille O'Neal, the 1992 NBA draft. He signed Kobe Bryant to a card contract. He's the man behind the classic cards in the 90s we all fell in love with. And the founder of Golden Auctions, our man, Ken Golden. Ken, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Man, we really appreciate it. Um, I guess I just want to get into it, man. Um, mm -hmm. With the card boom, the way it is right now, obviously, it's mm -hmm. a hot button issue or a hot topic, and you are a driving force behind it right now with your Golden Auctions website. Tell us about your website that you, you founded in uh, 2012. Sure. So we're Golden Auctions at goldenauctions.com, and we are known for selling high-end items to high-end collectors, although we are putting in, you know, as many of you may have uh, – Heard recently, we took in a uh, big investment from the Chernin Group, uh, Kevin Durant, Dwayne Wade, Mark Cuban, and a lot of really uh, smart tech guys. And we're using that to build out a new platform where we, instead of selling something just you know for you know, millionaires and really rich people that want to spend five thousand or five hundred thousand on a card, you know, when we're up and running, we will literally be able to take consignments of fifty and hundred and two hundred dollar items and sell things for 50 75 99 199 to really go after uh, after the masses. But we started the company in 2012. We did $800,000 our first year, and we did over $100 million last year. This year we'll do well over $250 million, and it's 95% sports cards, sports memorabilia, all sports. I know you guys are big in wrestling. We, uh, I think, hold the record for the three highest-priced wrestling cards ever sold. Uh, all that we did in the past uh, 60 days and Andre the Giant and two Hulk Hogan's uh, from the 82 series. And um, we are just looking to uh, grow our business and take it worldwide. Congratulations on the big investment. That was big news. I saw you were featured in the New York Times. That's fantastic, man. So congratulations on your success. Barry? Thanks. Yeah, after hearing that, do you need a butler, Ken? <laughs> I'm available. I'm available. No, uh, like Eric said, man, we, we've been huge sports fans our whole life. You know, what was the, the item or the, the card, I guess, mm -hmm. that struck your, you know, your fandom? I mean, I've been, look, I've been doing this since I was a little kid, you know, since I, I collecting since I was eight, buying and selling since I was 12. But I think what probably put golden auctions on the map is when we got the famous Jumbo Wagner, the 1909 T206 Honus Wagner in a five, known as the Jumbo because it was oversized. And I was lucky enough to sell that twice. 
once in my second year in business. We sold it for two million. And then when the market was hot in 2016, you know, I called up the guy and said, I think the market's really hot. I bet I can make you a million dollars in this card. And I did. We sold it for 3.1. Unfortunately, now if I had that card, it'd probably be like 12 million. But um, you live and learn. Right. <laughs> now to talk about, you've been in the business for 40 years. Um, I'm 40 years old. Mm-hmm. I was born in I was born in 1980, and growing up, you know, collecting. That's how I learned about baseball. For instance, mm-hmm. was the old. I think the first set I really got as complete set was the 1987 tops. I, I mainly just got them just to read the back of the baseball cards. I the, the yep. script on the front of the top. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was there was a big boom going on at that time, and then we yep. saw it kind of fall off. Can you talk to us about that time period? Because I've always kind of wondered what happened. Sure. So, you know, I actually was in business then. I actually was a trading card manufacturer back then. You know, so what happened was, is that you had uh, in 1981, they ended the monopoly. So Topps was the only manufacturer all the way up through 1981. And then a court case said it was a monopoly and that Fleer and Donneris were allowed to produce cards as long as they didn't produce, put gum in the cards. Um, so Donneris had the puzzle and like Fleer did the sticker. And, um, cards slowly built throughout the 80s and then what happened was that was really the era of strikes and lockouts so the unions were using trading cards to build strike funds so they started granting license after license so then an 88 score came around and they got a license in 89 upper deck came around they got a license and the nflpa did one better they gave it to everybody and they gave it to ProSet. they gave it to, to, to all these other companies to where at one point in time in like the early 90s you had you know, six baseball licensees, I think eight NFL licensees, five hockey licensees. And then, you know, people were trying to cram out so many cards. And it wasn't like they did nowadays. Like, you remember 1987 Tops? If you bought if you bought a vending case of 1987 Tops, you got a case of 12,000 raw cards. If you bought 10 vending cases, you got 120,000. They were all the same cards. There were no inserts. There were no autographs. There were no jersey cards. There, there was nothing. So there was nothing to chase. You just kept finding card after card after card. And, you know, names back then were rookies were like Cal Daniels and B.J. Surhoff and Mike Greenwell and, 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 and all these guys. And Barry Bonds' first regular issue card. And Mark McGuire's first regular issue card. So the, the manufacturers kept producing and producing and producing. And the public was buying it. So even though there were a ton of product being produced, um, the public was consuming it. Then what happened at the end of 93, people started to get, you know, in 91, 92, people started to get stuck with the product because they realized, you know, oh, the other thing is people thought they were going to get rich off it. So people would take storage units and garages and they would go out and they would buy factory set cases and wax cases of 89 tops and 90 Donruss. And they they take garages and fill 50 cases of, of of their 50 cases of 90 90 Fleer wax in their garage. But what happened in '94? Baseball strike, hockey strike. And I think the NFL lockout, the basketball lockout. I was a manufacturer of classic cards. We got hung with 40 million dollars of returns. People stopped buying the cards. Then people kept trying to sell the cards, and there was no market for the cards. So, I mean, card companies would literally, Tops may have done $250 million that year. Like, let's say, 90, let's say 91, they did $250 million. It was all on, like, one product. 
So they made $250 million of the same product with no chase cards and no insert cards. So the stuff basically became worthless, literally worthless. So in 94, you know, especially they canceled the World Series. That was like that was like the absolute bottom. And that happening put a lot of companies out of business. Uh, scoreboard went out of business. Fleer went out of business. Score went out of business. All these small pro set went out of business. So it knocked all these companies out. And then the remaining companies started lowering their production. And then when these licenses came up for renewal, the league said, you know something, we're going to limit. We're going to cut down to three. We're going to cut down to two. Then they eventually they cut down to one, where Tops is the only licensee by Major League Baseball properties, although Panini also is a Players Association license. Panini is the only football licensee. Upper Deck is the only hockey licensee. And Panini is the only basketball licensee. So they really got it under control. But the product that was produced, you know, some people say the junk wax era is really from 97 to, excuse me, from 87 to 94. I'd expand that. And I'd say it's really from probably 85 to like 95 when, you know, and then it kind of ended with 96 basketball when Kobe Bryant was a rookie and they came out with Topps Chrome in basketball. That to me was like the end of the junk wax era. Yeah, and you brought it up like to me, Kobe's rookies, and you had those tops chromes. I was a kid, I was like 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. I didn't have $15 to buy a pack of those at that time because mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was like the so I would get like the Fleer Ultras or something like oh. that. And they they start adding little, you know, scoring kings and beam teams and things like that. What were I and the I think it's the Jordan scoring kings. Yeah, that's like a that's a uh, high end card there. Yep. My dad has I'm trying to wiggle it out of him. Hmm. But to you, what what actually brought back like what card what set do you think brought that boom back or do you think it was just a a necessity? What what brought the market back from the dead? It was really the 1998 home run chase. Okay. It's, uh, you know, people, you know, because Kobe wasn't, you know, Kobe cards weren't, weren't like incredible in 1996. Allen Iverson, I mean, they were good, but basketball was a small market. Going back to 1996, 97, 98, baseball was still king. Baseball was still probably 75, 80% of the trading card market. But in 98, McGuire, Sosa, they saved the trading card industry. You know, people... We should put Mark McGuire in the Hall of Fame just for saving baseball and saving the trading card. I don't give a crap about the steroids, okay? He, he, he saved the game. He put people's butts back in the stands. People cared about it. You know, if you were around, you know, remember USA Today? People, before, people used to get the news from USA Today. You know, on the cover, every single day, McGuire hit one. Sosa hit one. So, and they had insert cards, and McGuire didn't sign anything but Sosa signed stuff. So Sosa's autograph cards were hot. And that's when they started with the Jersey cards. And then because of that, Upper Deck that year came out with the Jordan autographed Jersey cards. That was like the first year of the autographed Jersey cards. So I would say, you know, 96, 96 basketball was a turning point. You know, people did not know back then how good those cards would be. People did not know how great 96 Topps Chrome would be and that a Kobe Bryant refractor one day would be a $450,000 card. Okay. But, um, they, they knew that baseball, something special was happening again. And that is what really kickstarted the entire trading card industry. And 
I do not think there is a downtime where, where a year-over-year -year sales and year-over-year -year excitement was decreased at all from any point in time starting in 98 until today. You know, some people may say, hey, the market took a dip in 2008, 2009 during the recession and the financial crisis and the, um, the Great Recession. But in actuality, I was selling, I think maybe the high-end market it did, but I was selling a ton of low-end stuff. I was selling like these Yankee Stadium sets at $29, $39, like they were going out of style and um, because people wanted something that they could afford. And they could afford a $29, $39 set of trading cards or a $39 box of trading cards. So the high-end market may have taken a dip those two years, but the trading card market, I bet, increased overall. And I think that if you pick a pinpoint in time, the home run chase of 1998 is what turned the trading card market around. And really, we've had you know, may have been a little bit of up and up and down, but pretty much just a curve going sideways up uh, since 1998. I actually remember that home run chase very well. I was a freshman in college. Now that you say it, I kind of kicked myself in the butt for not diving in the collecting world at that time. But yep. <laughs> funds were going to other places at the time. Um, turn it back a little bit. Uh, you signed Shaquille O'Neal to his first trading card contract, yep. which led to, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, you're kind of the godfather of the autographed insert card. Yes. Uh, and which yeah. which was, I've seen pictures of it. It's the old, it's not like it is today where it's imprinted on one of 99. It was handwritten back then. Can you tell us uh, about Sign and Shack and how the autograph and what that did for the uh, autograph business going forward in cards? Sure. So we signed, uh, you know, in 92 when he was still in college, you know, I, I just basically said, um, you know, we got to sign Shack. You know, I'm, I'm an aggressive type of guy. I was probably much more aggressive in my in my early 20s back in the 90s. And but I'm, I was really aggressive. So like I wanted to kill my comp competition. I want to eat their hearts out. So there was a bunch of companies out there that were making draft pick cards. And I said, you know, I got to put these guys out of business. Shaquille O'Neal, whoever signs Shaq is going to own the trading card market. So I paid, I literally think I was like a one and a half million dollar contract to sign them exclusively and sign a bunch of autographs. And interestingly, we invented two things that year. Number one was the autograph card. You know, we did a little bit in 1991 for sport, but 92 is really the first time we had big names because we did 92 for sport with baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. And we had two monsters. We had the Derek Jeter rookie card with the Derek Jeter insert. So he signed like maybe 150 insert cards into the four sport. And I think Shaq, even though we had thousands of autographs of Shaq, you know, we wanted to keep it limited. So I think it was like 150 or 250 limited edition insert cards. And yes, it was the regular card front. So if you pulled it out, you know, it looked on the front like the regular card, but it had a signature. And on the back, it said, congratulations, you've received an autograph limited edition card. And um, they were hand numbered. You know, they were individually, you know, when, and when they went out, they, they were basically hand numbered. And we actually kept like two or three extra because if somebody sent us a damaged one, you know, they got it out of pack, it was damaged. We had a couple extras. So let's say somebody sent us number 33 out of 150, we'd rip up the 33 and we'd handwrite 33 out of 150 and we'd send it off to them. But that was really, you know, I, I think probably we did that. That was like forward thinking because I don't think card companies thought to do that probably until years later, until the 2000s. But the other thing we invented or we caused to be invented that we didn't know we were doing was the redemption card. Because what I did in 1992 was something nobody did. You know, I went to his agent, Leonard Amato, and I said, listen, 
I want to sign Shaq exclusively, but you know, we're a publicly traded company. I need to tell people it's exclusive. I need to make sure that he is in nobody else's card set in the calendar year 1992. And he goes, okay, what do you need? I said, I need you to sign a clause that said that you will not allow Shaquille O'Neal to sign, you know, with any NBA trading card licensee or grant the NBA trading card rights until 1993. Um, it was a dumb move by him. He obviously didn't realize that he was a licensed agent in the NBA and he shouldn't have done that, but he let Shaq sign that contract. Um, next thing I knew, I'm hearing from lawyers and, and the NBA from Fleer, Tops, and Upper Deck that thought they can put Shaq in their, in their set, and they can't. So we're the reason why Shaquille O'Neal appears in the 92-93 Tops, Upper Deck, and Fleer Series 2, but not Series 1. And Upper Deck came up with this idea to circumvent that, and they came up with the redemption card where they inserted it into Series 1 and said this. They never didn't use his name, but said that this is redeemable for the number one draft pick of the 1992 NBA draft. But that, that year was an incredible time. We were a small company. We grew dramatically. We probably sold $60 million worth of trading cards with uh, Shaq included that year. That's, which would explain why Shaq's rookie card outside of that that I've seen correct, it would be the uh, Topps Gold Chrome 92-93 set, which mm-hmm. I just flipped recently. <laughs> Very go ahead. How dare you for selling right. that? Right. But, but yeah, what foresaw, like what foresight did you have because Christian Leitner was on the dream team there. Yep. He was like the big guy, you know, the name for you to go. No, nah, I want Shaq. I know sports. Obviously. I mean, I grew up, I grew up, I'm always a Phil, always a Philadelphia fan, you know, always uh big time Sixers, big time, big time Eagles, big time, uh, you know, Phillies fan, you know, the Flyers a little bit, you know, but they, they really, they were in my, they were in their heyday when I was like eight, nine years old, a little too young for me to understand. And then they kind of sucked after, um, but you know, with the broad street bullies, but um, you know, so I look, I knew the Jack would be dominant. I understood trading cards, you know, the same theory, you know, of somebody in 1984 going Nike going after Michael Jordan, as opposed to Akeem Olajuwon, you know, I, I just felt that Shaq would, dominate the NBA. He was a bigger than life character. He was a fun loving character. Um, you know, Christian Leitner, yes, he won every single award. He was on the dream team, but you know, he wasn't loved. And I didn't think that his game would really translate into, you know, into the NBA. I thought Shaq would be, uh, would be dominant like, uh, Kareem and Will Chamberlain. And, um, you know, I just said it, it's all or nothing with Shaq. And I think Shaq actually he wrote a book after his rookie year, and I think he touches on signing that contract as well mm-hmm. and yep. about his uh, his uh, agent doing that. So moving forward just a little bit, uh, you signed Kobe Bryant to yep. a contract, and it was a very unique contract. I heard you talk about it on, on something I watched. Can you explain to our listeners what that contract was? Because that was very creative thinking by you. Sure. So you know Kobe, um, I actually met Kobe. I knew Kobe was not going to go pro because I met his dad. His dad. Uh, and, and got, I was, I was at the time I was, I had just turned 30. So this is 1996, just turned 30. And his father walked um, him into my office at scoreboard in Cherry Hill, introduced him to me and said, uh, this is Mr. Golden, which may have been like the first time I was called Mr. Golden, but I guess I was talking to a 17 year old. This is Mr. Golden. He's going to be the one who signs you to your first, uh, marketing agreement. You know, so I knew he wasn't going pro at that point. Um, and, um, we worked out a deal. And his agent said, 
you know, I really want to get Kobe a hundred thousand dollar contract. And it was kind of a tiered system based on where he was drafted. So I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll guarantee him, um, whatever it was, you know, 50 grand, whatever, whatever the contract was for, but you know, I'll give him the option so he can earn over a hundred. And what I believe I did was I put an option in there to get an additional 30,000 autographs at $2 an autograph. And, um, which who knew, who knew, you know, and, but obviously those autographs ended up being very, very valuable. And, um, you know, when I left the company, um, the people who took over the company actually, uh, you know, sued Kobe to enforce that contract and get all those autographs. Wow. Yeah. Go ahead, Barry. Uh, do, do you have any, you know, he, he just and everybody, you know, has tore up and has been. His legacy lives on. But do you have any kind of Kobe stories that haven't been told that was kind of personal between you two? Um, and what people may not know, is um, when I, I so I, I left scoreboard, started Golden Sports, and I, the first thing I was doing was um, was actually uh, contract work and repping. So I was hired by Scott Boris, and I was hired by Arn Tellum. You know, Arn Tellum, and my deal was I can only do basketball for Arn, and I can only do baseball for Scott. So I would do marketing agreements and whatnot, and I flew out to uh, Arn's office, and I met uh, met with Kobe. And I met with uh, his sisters and we sat down and we put a plan together to uh, put out uh, the first ever Kobe Bryant fan club. And I basically made the template for them and show them based on what was the old classic collectors club when people paid $99 and they got an autograph and they got a special card set. I said, this is what we're going to do for Kobe. And we're going to create a fan club that is a money generator for him and for his family. And, um, you know, it was put into place and it was, uh, it was successful. And when Kobe used to um, sign all the autographs and, you know, for all the other card companies like Fleer and whatnot, he would do it when he came to Philadelphia. He would do it at my office and would sit down in my office, the conference room. And then like a rep with Fleer would come and, you know, we'd sit down and Kobe would just sign his autographs because he wanted to do it in front of, uh, you know, somebody he knew. And of course, years later, obviously, and I'm not, you know, not supposed to talk about this too much, but years later when his parents came to me, to consign his collection, I, I, I got the got the lead from his parents and his agent, and I thought he knew about it. And uh, when I found out he didn't, uh, you know, I texted him and I said, "Hey, um, you know, it's me, it, it's Ken Golden. Um, you know, let me know how we can work this out." And you know, I didn't like his answer, and that's how we had um, you know, the problem. But you know, luckily it all worked out in the end. And uh, literally a year after that incident. Um, he was at a Las Vegas casino, you know, doing an appearance for high rollers. And uh, I went in there and um, we talked and we did a big hug. And, you know, he knew, hey, you know, I was I was somebody that was caught in the middle of a uh, of a crappy situation for me. It's unfortunate, but rest in peace to the great Kobe Bryant. We absolutely adore that man on the show. So, I've, yep. yeah, I, 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 I actually wore Kobe's shoes personalized in my wedding. So that's yep how big of a fan I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the question on everybody's mind right now is today's day and age, what mm-hmm. the hell is going on? Why is it blowing up so much? We can't buy cards. There's signs hanging at stores saying that, you know, you two per person. There's a store mm-hmm. in the house. You can only buy them Fridays at three o'clock. What's going on, dude? Okay. Well, 
there's two things. First of all, I'm going to say what's going on. Second of all, I'm going to say what needs to be done. Okay. Um, and then the card manufacturers don't like to hear the second part. Um, what's going on is that we have become, we're no longer nerds. You know, when I was in high school, I was a nerd. I was a guy who played with cards, okay? Um, I, uh, you know, was buying and selling cards. And my mom would say, why don't you go out with friends? You know, I went out with friends. Why don't you go on a date? Why don't you do this? Why don't you know? I'm going to tell a girl, what do you do? What do you do in your spare time? Oh, I, I collect baseball cards. I remembered, I memorized the Beckett annual price guide. You know, these are my <laughs> talents, okay? Crap like that. Now I'd be like, you know, a superhero, you know? Um, but no, I, I literally, if it was a 400-page book, I memorized every price, every grade, every condition. It was it was like, like crazy. Um, but uh, so we were nerds. We were, you know, you know I don't want to say in the closet, but we were in our basements, you know, playing with cards and dealing with cards and, and, and buying and selling and trading. Um, but what happened is now, you know, whether it's, um, the high prices, whether it's the fact that the cards started going for a lot of money, you know, people say, what do I think tipped it? I think what really changed the, changed the landscape was in 2016 when we sold the LeBron ultimate logo man for $312,000. And that's when the media got a hold of the fact, wait a minute, you know, yeah, Honus Wagner's valuable. Mickey Mantle's valuable. How is this 13 year old card? $300,000. So that's when I think really things really took off and they went on a trajectory for about four years until 2019 when I found this exquisite collection. And in November of 2019, it got crazy. And then we sold the logo man of LeBron pre-COVID, pre-Jordan uh, in January of 2020 for 900,000. And when we sold that card for 900,000, that really ignited the rocket fuel because that was a crazy amount of money for a modern card. And then we know what happened. The COVID lockdowns happened. People were at home and pulling out their own collections. And then the last dance came out and everyone got more, more, more nostalgic. And then Mark Wahlberg goes on, you know, goes on Instagram, starts breaking with his kids and, you know, athletes start saying they're buying their own cards. And then I sold that LeBron James card for $1.8 million. And then LeBron comes out and say, yeah, I've got two of them myself. And we learned that these athletes and these rappers and these musicians and these um, you know celebrities are collecting cards too, and all of a sudden we're not nerds anymore. We're cool. We're, we are part of pop culture, you know. So um, you know that I think happened, and what's happening is is that people are now jumping into it that weren't in it before, like mutual funds, like hedge funds, like investors, like billionaires. So they're buying up all the high end stuff, and as the as the high-end stuff goes up, it drags the lower price stuff up as well and, and doesn't make it affordable. Um, a friend of mine actually owns the company that distributes to all the Walmarts and all the Myers and, and all these other things. He tells me that people follow his trucks around and yes. they, um, you know, they wait for them to load up the shelves. So this is, um, you know, and, and, and what we don't want to happen, look, it's great for people like me who sells the high-end market. What we don't want to happen is, you know, for those of you who follow me, you know, and again, by the way, anybody I welcome to you at Ken Golden on Twitter, on Instagram, I do breaks with my seven-year-old son. Sometime my three-year-old daughter comes in there and when she does, we switch out the boxes and get like the $29, $39 junk wax era. Okay. So I break these cards with my son. You know, we price these kids out of the market five years from now, we're not going to have a market. So, so what has to happen? Take the ultra high-end market, separate it, realize it's its own animal. Saw some guy paid $4.6 million for a Luka Doncic logo, logo man, Luka Doncic logo man, fine, okay? 
4.6 million dollars for logo man it's it's not ordinary it's not it's it it shouldn't affect a base prism of luca okay somebody shouldn't jack up the price because his one of one card and some guy worth 250 million decide to spend 4.6 million dollars on a card you know it it should affect the cards limited to 5 limited to 10 the real rare ones but what we don't want to do is not create product for the masses. This is what I want the card companies to do. I want Tops to do this. I want Upper Deck to do it. And I certainly want Panini to do it. And this is not, you know, I, I'll tell this to them directly. I have a pipeline directly to the president of Tops. I have a pipeline to at least a VP at Panini. Um, you know, not, I've never, never, I don't believe I've spoken to the president. What they need to do is they need to designate a brand, at least one brand, and run it across all their, you know, run it in soccer, run it in football run it in basketball, run it in their baseball and say, this is the kid's brand. Okay. You know, and basically say, we are going to produce enough of this product. We're not going to go, um, we're, we're not going to go with the, I'm trying to figure out, I say the word or you, do I, can I say BS? We're not going to go you with, you say whatever you want, man. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Free we're not going to go with the bullshit scarcity. We're not going to go with the bullshit Let's figure out what demand is, and we need to produce under it. That's fine with NT. That's fine with Flawless. It's fine with Eminence. It's fine with Prism. Pick a brand. Make it affordable and print the damn cards, okay? You know, maybe you have less autograph cards in there, but you have autographs. Maybe you have less game-used jersey cards, but you have game-used jerseys. Make it fun. Do a commercial for it. Have kids breaking it, okay? Don't, you know... You know, have, have an athlete, take one of your celebrity athletes and have them there with the kids and open up the cards. And guess what? If the kid dings a quarter, quarter, so what? People complain on my Instagram sometimes that Paul doesn't treat the cards great. You know something? I'm not going to scold a seven-year-old who's excited pulling a uh, Kobe Bryant card and saying, well, you you you, you got to be careful with the corner, right? Or, or pulling, or the fact that he knows that this is Cody Bellinger's rookie card. Or, or like, he blew people away. We opened the 2012 Bowman Chrome box. He pulled out an R.A. Dickey. You know what this seven-year-old said? He goes, R.A. Dickey, 2012. He won the Cy Young that, that year. And people were blown away. And I looked it up, and he did win the Cy Young Award that year. Okay, but you don't want to take the enjoyment away from the kids. So pick a product. Tell the licensors, this is what we're going to do. We're going to produce this product. We're going to have a $39, $49 hobby box. We're going to have a $1.99 retail pack, you know, hobby pack. We're going to have a $19.99, $29 hobby box, and we're going to make sure that the, the stores are stuffed. And guess what? It's all going to sell out. Don't be worried that you don't want to get returns. And that's why they do this. They don't want any returns. They want no returns. But I think if they can pick a product and market is that, I'm not saying market is this is our quote-unquote junk wax, but this is our introductory brand. This is our brand for kid-friendly brand. You have to have at least something that is affordable. You want to make your $5,000 boxes and your $2,000 packs, fine, do it. You want to keep NT limited, that's fine. But make sure there is something in every single sport that even if it goes, and you know something? If, if the Walmart runs out, get them another shipment the following week. By the third week, people restock, okay? And they see that's all over the place. The people are going to stop coming in and trying to clean out the Walmart. But that is what they have to do. They have to pick a brand, you know, whether it's whether it's a special version version of basketball, like you say, NBA hoops or, 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 or some something. But you have to pick a brand in all in all three of the sports that they make because they only make three 
And um, you have to say this is our introductory brand. This is kid-friendly brand. Um, do online ordering. Set aside, set aside five million dollars worth of product for online ordering and limit it two per box per customer. And have a way to say that you know, forget the emails. Two two boxes per address, and let everybody who wants to go to Panini and order direct. Get the logistics in there. You're going to make so many people happy. What you're going to do is you're going to allow hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to get the entry level into trading cards at a young age that they're going to be hooked when they're adults, when they can afford you buy your buy your $500 and $1,500 product. That is what I would do, and I think that is incredibly important for us to be here five years from now and 10 years from now talking about uh, the longevity of trading cards. Yeah, it's all about the sustainability. And I had talked to, you know, a guy that owns a card shop here in town and he told me that he can't get product Yep. because guys are following these trucks. They're, yep. they're grabbing stuff. They're doing, you know, this and that mm-hmm. I stumbled upon the card game by accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brewtown Trading, they do like one quarantine. So they mm-hmm. would go in their basement. You could buy a box and they'd open it right there. So it was mm-hmm. like right before the draft or something. And they, some guy bought all eight boxes of like NFL metal or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Two, it was like 240 a box. And I was like, mm-hmm. what is going on? Mm-hmm. And then, the next guy, you know, if you're done, you say you're done and they go on. And this guy buys a box of national treasures. That's two mm-hmm. grand. Mm-hmm. Yep. So why are these, I, I don't want to say like higher end, but you know, what's the difference, I guess, for the, the person that doesn't know between a national treasures and say an immaculate or an exquisite, like what are, what's the difference? Okay. So you mean you, Basically, the difference is when you look at something, everything is um, priced accordingly. So something like Exquisite, to me, is the, you know, probably the best basketball product ever produced. It was really the first product where every single card was numbered. I mean, think about every single solitary card. You know, so if you look at 2003, the base cards of the veterans were all all numbered to uh, 225. There exists no, and those are unsigned. There exists no unsigned rookies. All the rookies were RPAs. They're all limited to nine. They're all limited to 99. They're all signed. Now you've got the gold version limited to 25 that were unsigned, but the base cards were signed. So everything. Then they have limited logos, which I think, I think in year one they were limited to 75, and then they were reduced to uh, 50. You had the uh, patch cards limited to uh, to 100. Emblems of endorsement limited to. Um, Year 125, you had the logo men limited to one. You had the um, you you know, you had the the rainbows which were limited to one of one. You had the golds which are unsigned limited to 25. You had the quad patches limited to three. You had the triple patches limited to 10. But every single solitary card was numbered. That is as high end premium as you can get. Then you look at something like um, Prism um, or NT. NT is kind of in some ways a copycat of exquisite they took all the great things about exquisite you know like 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 the logo man cards like the rpas um you know like the inserts and they basically nt is like the exquisite um for modern day for panini 
Then you look at something like Prism, and that is really a product that is very popular because up until the previous few years, it was actually affordable. You know, Luca came in and now you can, and then Zion, and you, it goes crazy. Um, and it probably, um, you know, you know, and people are buying the base cards, buying the base cards like they're insert cards, not realizing, wait a minute, a 2019 base card in Prism is not the same as owning a 2013 or 2014 base cards because probably at least 10 times as many base cards. But they have the limited edition autograph cards. They have the limited edition numbered insert cards. So uh, then you look at something like um, like flawless, you know, flawless. Everything is, 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 is you, you get you, you get a case and then you open up the case and there's a pack and you're going to get an autograph limited edition card. Your jersey cards or game used jersey cards as opposed to photo session or event worn jersey cards. But they're basically every single card has significant value. And um, boy, I, I don't even know what the what, what the issue price is. Let's say it's. um. What is the issue price of what was the issue price of flawless this year? Oh my! So was it like four thousand? I was gonna say thirty five hundred. Yeah, thirty five hundred. So Something you like if that. you open if you and it's 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 they call it a box, but it's really a pack. And if you yeah. open up that pack and um, you don't get anything, I mean you 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 blew thirty five hundred dollars. So yeah, but those are those are those are the different ranges, and it ranges all the way down. To I guess the lowest end brand they make is, is, is NBA Hoops, the, the standard base brand. Is that right? Would you uh, say that? Yeah. Yeah. I think huh? so. Because yeah, they have so, what is it? NBA Hoops uh, premium stock too. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Not the premium. The base. The base brand. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I would guess that would be, you know, that would be the uh, the base brand. But every brand has something has something unique about it and something different about it. But you know. I'm an, I'm a veteran. I'm getting confused by all the brands. I mean, every brand has a little bit of an offshoot, and every brand has a little bit of a twist to it. And, and, and you know, and then they're introducing new brands. Like, you know, One and One was a new brand this year. Um, and it, it's you know, Eminence. You know, and Eminence they they did they did. Um, gosh, again, I know you know nobody's gonna watch this. I don't need to worry. They uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't listen. But they did a horrible brand producing the cards. Horrible job. You, the cards are so thick, you can't get them graded. You know how can you? Again, it's another pet peeve of mine. If you pull a brand new card out of a 2020 pack or a 2020 box, every card should be gem mint. If not gem mint, every card should at least be mint. How the hell do I go to PSA with with an Eminence card and they tell me it's going to be a seven? And it's it's untouched by human hands. I mean, there's something wrong with that process. And, and, and you know, they, they need, I mean, these, these companies should hire me as a consultant, literally, and basically say, this is where you're screwing up. This is what you got to do for the kids. You can't do this because these cards can't grade. And um, it, it, would be, it would be better off. But, yeah, I mean, look, it's, they obviously know what they're doing. I think they did legitimately. I saw a report that they legitimately sold a billion dollars in cards this year. And the aftermarket value of the product they sold was in excess of $3 billion. So uh, they obviously have a and, you know, and they're for most for many sports, the only game in town. And we all know, even with that much product, it was really in heavy demand, heavy, heavy, heavy demand. Barry used a word that I want to I definitely want to bring up transition. To my next question is uh, sustainability. Mm -hmm. So with the way the market is today, we definitely I don't I'm not an expert like you are. Mm -hmm. I don't imagine things can just continue to climb, 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 climb as quickly mm -hmm. as they are. So. Mm -hmm. 
also, I don't think there's going to be as big of a dip as what we experienced in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So how sustainable is the market today? Is it going to keep climbing? Is it going to level off eventually, in your opinion? What do you think? Um, if I was teaching an investment class, this is what I would tell people right now. We are in really a manic stage um, where basically there are so many more buyers than there are sellers and there's so much more demand that people can almost charge whatever they want. And that's how somebody can buy something on Monday and flip it on Friday. I don't think that the manic stage is going to end anytime soon. Um, I think it'll end by the end of this year. And I think we'll go into a normal growth stage, you know, whereas we won't see we won't see, for example, I this this is an example. Um, so somebody can sign a I don't want to mention the card, but it's a LeBron James card that they bought from me in late December for about forty thousand. And one of them sold recently for a hundred, so he's consigning it back to me. He paid forty thousand, including buyer's premium, and he's probably gonna get in my March auction about a hundred and ten, hundred and fifteen thousand for the same card. That's 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 crazy. I mean that that's I mean, God bless him. You know, God bless him. But um, but that that's that is the type of stage we're in. I think that that continues in certain parts of the end of this year. And I think we see normal then that I think we see some sort of some sort of equilibrium where the market grows. But instead of the market growing by 200 to 400 percent a year, maybe it grows by 25 to 50 percent a year for the next few years. Um, It's going to take a long time to fill the demand pipeline. We also have a tremendous amount of unsatisfied demand, untouched demand outside of the continental, you know, outside of the United States, really. You know, people in Australia cannot get cards and they want it. People in Germany, in Denmark, in Macau, the Philippines, Hong Kong, Russia. I get people in Russia with seven figure invoices. Who would have thought? Okay, but people all over the world are trying to get trading cards. So it's going to take a long time for that pipeline to get filled. But I think the days of buying something for on for hundred dollars on Monday and selling it for 175 on Friday, you know, or, 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 you know, I don't think that's going to be commonplace in 2023. I think you're going to be able to pick pockets like 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 a good stock market. You're going to be able to see things gradually rise as a whole and have individual cards and individual pockets. Yeah. Well, maybe you can quadruple your money in an individual in a given season um, and like any market. You know, even on the best day of the NASDAQ, let's say you look at the NASDAQ, uh, you know, NASDAQ 100, even on the best day, you know, if 85 stocks go up, there's going to be 15 that go down. So people can't point to, oh, this card went down or this card went down and think the market's going down because the market as a whole is growing and the market as a whole is going to grow for the next several years that all you got to do is look at the backlog of PSA and realize that if they can grade four hundred thousand dollars, four hundred thousand cards a month, and they're getting in five hundred or four hundred thousand a week, I don't know what it is, a month, a week. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, yeah, probably a month. I don't know. And they're getting in five hundred thousand. That backlog's going up. If that backlog is seven million cards, it's going to be a while that we're in a backlog basis. That's why they raise their prices so much to try and you know decrease decrease the backlog and get rid of um, you know some of the um, you know some of the lower price grading, eliminate crossover. So I think that we are in a hypermanic stage probably for a good portion of 2021. And then we're going to be in normal growth stage um, of the, of the business or the hobby for the next several years after that. Wow. Who are, who are some players because every like Mahomes, everybody's mm-hmm. on Mahomes. Who are some players that you think are going to hold their value and their cards 
for the foreseeable future? Uh, well, for me, I start with, you know, I start with basketball. I'll start with the big three in basketball, Jordan, LeBron, and Kobe. Okay. I, I start with those three. Um, I look at, um, you know, I look at players and I look at baseball. Um, my favorite baseball player is uh, to, to, to hold on to is Jackie Robinson, because I think that Jackie, you know, while anybody who's a student of the game knows that he is not the greatest baseball player of all time, he is the most important. And with everything going on in the world right now, that they, they teach him at school. I mean, my son came home and he was talking about the three great, my son's, my son's view of the three best baseball players of all time. And I'll tell you why for each, um, Barry Bonds, because I know Barry and he's met Barry and he's seen Barry's numbers, uh, Babe Ruth, because he's Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson. Those are the players he told me the three greatest baseball players of all time. You know, when I grew up, it was um, it was uh, Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, and probably Willie Mays. You know, so um, you know Ty Cobb's been dropped. You know, Willie Mays is 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 still Willie Mays. He's great, but Jackie has passed them all in in importance. Um, you look at players who are either recently retired or can retire tomorrow. And will be legends um, for current baseball players. If I can pick two undervalued baseball cards, it's um, Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols. OK, people are going to forget. You know, people now forget because Miguel, he's tailed off. But the guy won a triple crown back to back MVPs. He was so great. Pujols, if it were not for Barry Bonds, Pujols probably would have won six or seven consecutive MVP awards. You know, when, when bon, every year that Bonds was winning in 2001 to 2007, Pujols was second or third. I mean, the mm. guy was nicknamed the machine for a reason. He's just so great. He's just so great. Um, Ichiro Suzuki, another recently retired baseball player that I really liked. Um, I like Kevin Durant. I like um, I like Steph Curry. I love I love Messi and Ronaldo. Because I see the demand for those guys, and I see soccer cards are just, just starting. Um, you know, I don't go out because of my position. I don't go out and buy a lot of cards. There's a certain individual Kevin Durant card that I'm trying to buy. If you follow me on Twitter, you know which one it is because um, I bought one of them on Twitter uh, the other day. Um, <laughs> and uh, – Messi and Ronaldo cards, if I can find their rookie cards, 2003, 2004 at reasonable prices, I will buy those as well. I love sealed wax, and I think that's always a safe bet. Even if there are cards that I personally think are overpriced, if you buy the wax, you're safe. So if you can afford to buy any of the 2003, I don't care what it is. If you can't afford 2003 Chrome or Exquisite, and you can get 2003 uh you know, Bowman Autograph Series or 2003 Topps Base or 2003 Fleer, buy it. Same thing applies to 1996. I'm talking basketball. Same thing applies to 1996 basketball. Same thing applies to, to all the 2011 Topps products. Yes, I know it's rookies in Bowman Chrome, okay, <laughs> but 2009. But any of the 2011 Topps products with uh, Mike Trout, those are the type of things you want to be buying. 2009. I love 2009 basketball because you've got Steph Curry and you've got James Harden. James Harden is a very undervalued card. And if Brooklyn wins a championship, my God, it's lights out for both Durant and for Harden prices. 
That's very interesting. Also, tell your son that Barry Bonds is my favorite baseball player of all time. I used to go Beautiful. to Three Rivers. I used to go to Three Rivers State when I was a kid and sit in left field because you know they they had good teams back then. My dad would take me about an hour and I just watched. Number 24, just sit there and just kind of mouth off the Van Slyke in center field. It was yep. beautiful. <laughs> um, talk about grading a little bit. We have a question I want to go ahead and read off. Sure. One of our very good friends, Mike the Cleaner on Twitter. He's quite the character. We love him mm-hmm. to death. And I'm going to read it just like he typed it to me. Sure. Yo, do me a favor and ask him what his opinion is on HGA Grading Company. They sell as high as PSA graded cards right now, but their brand new grading company catching a lot of steam. Ask him if he thinks they will hold their value in the long haul. Okay. Um, if people ask me questions, I answer honestly. Um, so right now, the only three grading companies that Golden Auctions is is accepting for submission is PSA, Beckett, and SQC. It's going to be that way in 2021. It's going to be that way in 2022. It's going to be that way in 2023. It's probably going to be that way in 2024. First thing again, and this is my personal opinion, and you ask the questions, so don't get upset. But my personal opinion, if I was starting a grading company, you know what I would do? I'd get a lot of rich financial backers. I'd go to people and say, can you be a distributor? Can can you submit good cards? And can you create an artificial marketplace? There is no friggin' way that a Michael Jordan HGA 9 rookie is selling or worth the same price as a PSA 9. If that's happening, it's because somebody with a financial interest in HGA is propping up those prices. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait three years on HGA. I'm going to wait four years. I'm going to wait five years. Same with the new company out of Florida, CSG. I'm going to wait to see, do they catch altered cards? Do they catch trim cards? Um, are people happy with the grades? Is there a resale value? Um, will, they, or will they be around five years from now to be able to support the grades? There was once upon a time a grading company that everybody loved. It was called GAI. And they came out and their car, they were competitive to PSA. They started with Steve Rocky and Mike Baker, the original graders of PSA. And everyone said, oh, my God, it's the PSA graders. Well, guess what? They started out with good intentions. They put out some product and then it didn't get the support. The grades started crashing. Then they started doing some shady things and they started having autographs that, you know, they were grading counterfeit autographs and everything else like this. And the cards became completely devalued. People can crack them open, find out they were taking trim cards. When companies get desperate, they do anything for business. So I don't want to disparage these companies. I don't want to say, um, you know, that either one of those two new companies are going to do anything, anything dishonest, anything shady. But what I will tell you is this. You have to go with the brand names. If you are spending $10 or $15 to have your card graded by one of these companies, you're better off getting a Lucite case and putting it in a holder and wait to the backlog and one of the other three companies slows down because it is not going to have the market value. I don't care. You can show me. It's This card is graded by HGA and selling for this. Why is it selling for that? I guarantee you that somebody behind it is supporting the price. This is not Golden Auction's opinion. This is Ken Golden's opinion. It's my opinion because guess what? You can't fool me. I've been around this business since the 1970s. I've seen every single trick in the book. I've seen the Ponzi schemes. I've seen the people of price manipulation. I've seen the buying clubs. I've seen the Roberto Clementes in 2016, where an eight went from 20,000 to all of a sudden 155,000. And people were coming to me asking for cash advances on a Clemente with a value of 150,000. I didn't fall for it. I, I, I called bullshit. So again, 
I wish these companies the best of luck. Let somebody else be your guinea pig. It's not going to be our platform. And we are going to be the largest platform in the world within three years, larger than eBay for trading cards and collectibles. Interesting. Go ahead, Barry. Ken, you have just became my favorite guy for the most <laughs> subtle flexes. Like everything he says is like there's there's a flex in there. I love it. It's great. <clears throat> Thanks. But no, <laughs> no. To you know, you've sold thousands of items, mm-hmm. maybe probably millions in yep. your forty years. What's your favorite? It's a two part question. What's mm-hmm. your favorite item you've sold? And what's an item you would love to have to sell? Uh, the favorite item I've sold is a tie. And it's a tie for two reasons. Number one would be the Tito 6 Jumbo Wagner, because that, that that's what put me on the map. And honestly, I don't get emotional about this stuff. You know, I like it. I can appreciate it. But when you hold that card in your hand, and you stare at Honus Wagner and you stare at how amazing that card looks and the condition and you realize the history behind that card. It, it like it, it, honestly, it takes your breath away. And I, I don't get you know, I've had mantle game used jerseys. I own a great Babe Ruth game used bat. You know, I've owned rookie cards, you know, but, you know, when, when you look at that card is just so unique and so special, especially that one, because, you know, it's 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 the anti trim card. They talk about the PSA eight and how. You know, it, it, it was cut off the sheet and should be altered. This is the anti card because it's oversized. It's a card that at any point in time over the years, if somebody wanted to make it better, somebody had the extra corners extra to, to trim it down. So you look at that card. The second card I would say would be when I sold the LeBron 2003 exquisite RPA gold and it went for one point eight million because that got me so much media attention. And that's when all of a sudden. Everybody wanted to talk to me, and that's when LeBron was talking about trading cards. So those would be the two favorite items, the two favorite items of, of my career. Um, what my fa- what my item I would love to sell, um, I don't I know I don't know if they exist. I would love the chance to sell Michael Jordan's NBA photo matched 1984 debut jersey. I would love that. That would be incredible. The other item. Again, this this might exist somewhere, although it might be burnt. Remember the movie Eight Men? You guys see the movie or read the book Eight Men Out? Yes, no? yes. Okay. Remember when Joe Jackson signs his confession mm-hmm. and it disappears? The confession. Yes. Okay. I'd love to have Joe Jackson's confession and sell that. That that would be to me That'd be awesome. the, 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 the best item I could ever sell. That's amazing you referenced that movie because that's literally one of my favorite. You've mentioned yep. Pool Hawk, man. You're, you're just, I love you, man. Um, <laughs> next, next question we have is just one more. And we may have touched on this a little bit. Let me sure. pull it up here. Um, this is from Dutch Dalton. Great Twitter name, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is at Fort Sport, Fort Sport Collector. He wants to know your role in history with Scoreboard, obviously your company, mm-hmm. and your role in it. And do you see any parallels between today's sports car, sports card market and the boom of the 80s, 90s? Sure. So, you know, I started I, I started at Scoreboard when I was 19. I founded it with my father. And when he passed in 1994, um, I took over as CEO, uh, which is a role I hated because I was instead of being a product guy and being player relations and being a hobby guy, I was an executive dealing with a publicly held company. And 95 to 97 were probably three of the worst years of my life until I left in 97 and started my own business. Uh, but before that, when I had fun, you know, I created trading cards. I, um, I, I, I designed product. 
I signed athletes to contracts. Um, I hung out with Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I hung out with Emmett Smith. Um, I went to went, went went to clubs with athletes who I won't mention, and I won't mention what type of clubs. <laughs> come but, on it was, now, it was, it, come it, on. It was, nobody's listening, brother. Yeah, nobody's you know, listening. I, you know, I, 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 I went to some of the Tampa clubs with uh, athletes like like Dave Justice when he was dating Halle Berry. Oh my. Uh, you know, and uh, now I'm going to get my ass kicked when I see Dave. Andre uh, Andre Risen, that's why I left. I set his house on fire. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, that was my 20s. But no, that was a very fun time. And it was really got, I got to be creative. I got to design cards. I got to create memorabilia. I got to see athletes. You know, that's really what my main role at Scoreboard was marketing, designing and promoting. And um you know, the parallels I see now, I, I talked about that was really the era of the junk wax. What we did not have back then is we had a fraction of the number of buyers that we have now. And, you know, when you look at the rise of cards in the late 80s, it was all North America only. There was no international. It was all baseball. No one gave a crap about football, basketball, hockey cards. Uh, you could have bought during that time, you probably could have bought Gretzky rookies for 25, 50 bucks. Okay. Um, the 79 OPJs. So, you know, you could have bought Jordan rookies for $25, $25, dollars back then while baseball cards were going through the roof. Um, you know, so the, the, the parallels, I, I think I talked about it when going over the junk wax era. I think it's a different time. Um, I think we're smarter. I think we have more information right now. I think it's a more controlled environment. And I think the demand is real. And I think demand is coming from a worldwide group as opposed to centralized into the United States which it was back then. And do you think that the, basically, I think the biggest change between those two eras is probably to me, the internet, yep, you know, it's correct. bringing people together and with auction sites like yours, I think that's something that, yeah, that's the biggest difference because now, like Barry said, he can go on like a Facebook live and yep. buy a box of cars and they open it for him to where, you know, in 1991, that wasn't really possible for us back then. Barry, it was, it, it, it's, it's now, it can, it's now a community business it's a community hobby people have friends back then it was very solitary you know if you had if you had the monthly philly show you saw people at the monthly philly show now you know people participating in live breaks or instagram chats you know they're in facebook groups they're communicating every day and they're learning every day none of that existed in the 80s and 90s during the junk wax era you know and when you talked about like lebron mentioning you and that you know kind of blowing you up and getting people to want to talk to you and want to speak mm -hmm. to you how and you said it's like a single, you know, solitary hobby. Mm -hmm. How difficult is it for you to come out and you know be kind of a personable guy mm -hmm. to the public because mm -hmm. somebody's always wanting something. You know what I mean? Somebody's yep. always wanting something. So I guess how easy is it for you to come out and speak? You know what I'm you know to speak instead of being kind of more reserved. So I mean I'm used to. You know, from when I, you know, from, you know, I used to go on the business channels, you know, years ago, obviously I went on, you know, some of the shopping networks. So I had that experience, but I never communicated one-on-one -on -one with the hobby. Never. Now I was CEO of scoreboard or I was, you know, founder and, and, and CEO of golden auctions. You know, I sat behind my desk. I didn't communicate with anyone, but you know, the past couple of years, I, I, I said, you know, people said, Ken, you know, you got to talk to people. You got to be, you know, you're, you're, you what did one somebody say? You know, like I'm like a, a you know, I don't want to sound that you're a treasure, you're a time capsule, you're this, you're that. You know, I have so much information that people need, and people would email me, 
You know, I didn't even know in 2012 when I started Golden Options, I never had been to a forum. And somebody said to me, hey, Ken, they're talking about, you know, they're, they're talking about Muhammad Ali's autograph. You had him to a contract. You can help solve this for us. You can do this. You know, Ken, they're talking about this. And I started going on. I started posting on, on a couple of the forums. And it was like, oh, my God, I, people like, couldn't believe that, that Ken Golden is there. Now, you know, now and I just started doing more and more. And, you know, you get more and more comfortable with it over time. You know, it went from a couple forum posts to, you know, you know, in 2020, I opened up my Instagram account and, you know, one day I'm 100, one day I'm 1,000. Like three weeks later, I'm 5,000. Now I'm probably pushing 20,000. And, and I, I, it, people, you know, I used to respond to every single direct message, like literally in five minutes. Now what I do is when I'm done for my night, done for the night, because some people wait an hour, some people literally wait 23 hours because I'll do it around like 11 a.m. to 2 a.m. I'll reply to every single solitary direct message. And there are a boatload. Um, and <laughs> what, what, what has happened? Look, I've been in this business 40 years. In 39 years, this never happened to me. Never over 39 years. Nobody. I didn't think anybody cared what I did. I didn't think anybody paid attention. I get, and the first one I got was a direct message on, on, on Instagram. And I guess it was one of it, one, after one of my TV appearances, like nine months ago. And I screenshot it and I sent it to my wife and sent it to my kids. And the guy was saying, you know, we love you. Thank you. Keep up with the movement. And I said, what movement? Like, I, I didn't know I was part of a movement. And then I started getting more and more, more and more, like people saying, oh, we love what you're doing. Thank you for so much. Thank you for spreading the word. And, and what I realized is that, and I've always been the youngest in the business. And, and I got FaceTime with my kids before, um, before I'm done. Um, I actually am in a quarantine at the beach for five days because I was in California. So I, I took that. my test today and my wife wants, even though, even though I have the vaccine, my, she wants to play it safe. So I'm quarantining until I get my results. I'm going to FaceTime my kids before they go to, go to bed. So this will be the last thing. But, you know, what I realized is that, you know, I am, I love what I do. I love making good buys. I love seeing cool stuff come into the office. I spend a crap load of money at everybody else's auction house. You know, all my competitors, I, I bid, I spend a lot of money there. Um, and I, I guess I'm very passionate about it. So, you know, I go on, I talk, and whether it's my social media or public, I talk about the hobby. I talk about the hobby, not like I'm an executive of XYZ trading company or not like I am a hedge fund manager. But as a guy who grew up in the business and has an appreciation for for everything, and I guess when they see somebody that they relate to, okay, that has gone through what they've gone through and experienced what they what they've experienced, and he's getting a limelight shown on them, and um, you know, hit it, hit it big with a big investment or with a big company or is talking about the hobby and spreading the word. They feel like I'm speaking for them. I've never experienced that in my life. So that's why I'm putting myself out there. That's why I'm doing like the box breaks at Golden Options. You know, we're all unboxing. That's why I'm doing the Instagram Live question and answer session. And, you know, I grew up, you know, if, if somebody, if somebody, um, at one thing, I, I, even the people that sometimes give me crap on social media. But what I love about 99.9% .9 of people in this business is, you know, people, in life are so jealous, you know, like somebody succeeds, oh, this, his parents did this, or he did this. In this business, people 
they like a box break and they see somebody hit a $100,000 card, they're so happy. Even if they don't know the guy, they're so happy. And if they know the guy, it's like even better. So like when I had this investment from the Churning Group and Mark Cuban and Kevin Durant and Mark Wahlberg and, and the founder of YouTube and they put money into golden auctions, I had literally thousands of people that I didn't even know sending me emails, sending me you know direct messages and Instagram saying that, that you know, I showed my parents what you did, or I showed my kids what you did, or I said, look, look, I, I'm so happy that you did this. I'm so happy for you, and I'm so happy for me. I'm, I'm 17 years old. I've done this for three years, and I want to show my parents that look at this. You're, you're in whatever, and, and, and it's, just, it's just so meaningful for me. And, and I, as I've been talking to people, I realize what, you know, I honestly, I have to watch what I say, and I've never watched what I say. I've never had a filter. I have to watch how I act. Because I am kind of talking for a lot of people and I never intended to talk for a lot of people. I never thought I was talking for a lot of people, but apparently I am. And um, I'll take on that responsibility and do the best I can. I mean, that's fantastic. Um, and obviously, going back to the quarantine, I just want to fill in the blanks. Ken's humble. He was mm -hmm. breaking boxes with Logan Paul in California and his mm -hmm. wife quarantined to the beach house in Jersey Shore. That's, <laughs> that's where he's at right now. Yes. Um, Ken, I think you're a, the best ambassador for the hobby right now. Your passion mm -hmm. completely shines through in what you say. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit mm -hmm. down with our little podcast and talk yep. about collecting. New York Times, Fox Business, Logan Paul, now doing the favor podcast. <laughs> yep, there you go. Uh, Ken, get your socials out one more time. We'll let you go, brother. Sure. Oh, and and, and I, I did Barstool today, so that'll be on Friday. So Barstool yeah. Sports and and CNBC uh, on uh, CNBC Monday morning to talk about the auction. But it's it's at Ken Golden. You know, I for personal, it's at Ken Golden at Twitter and at Ken Golden on Instagram and at Ken Golden on TikTok. And they even set up a Ken Golden page on Facebook for me. And Golden Auctions is simply at Golden Auctions everywhere you can possibly imagine. Awesome. Dude, thank you so much. I mean, congratulations on success. Congratulations on your future success. We're so happy for you. Thank you so much for coming on and indulging us, man. Thank you. Have a great one, guys. Absolutely. You too, brother. You too. Thank Good you. Night. Good night, Eric. Good night, Barry. Thank you. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye. Dude. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you think about that, Mr. Eric Brown? I think we killed it. You know, I, you know, Ken, like I said, he, I, I laugh because he's so like nice and genuine, but there's a flex in every damn thing he says. He just, he's like, drops got a Scott Morris's name, just drop Shaq's name, just person hanging out with Kobe. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, man, that's, you know what though? There's something to be said for like being passionate about what you're doing yeah. and having genuine love for it. You know what I mean? And that, I feel like this dude wakes up. Probably every day Ray take on the day. I mean, I don't know how he ended up on our fucking show, but I'm so happy he did. You know what I mean? Right? Thank yeah, you so I'm, much. Dude, it's like, like you said, it's, it's crazy. Like that. I mean, that dude, he just said they, they sold 250 million. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, and you're on, you know, D DTF though, doing the favorite podcast. So we're going to have Shaq on tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, Ken hooked that up. That's that's fine. No, uh, but but that dude, like, you know, I got a pipeline to the VP. I ain't talked to the president yet, but I bet the president will talk to him after, you know, he's on CNBC. Right. 
yeah, yeah, I mean, it was it was great to have him on and talk about the the hobby because I think we've been getting flooded with questions about what's going on with it. You know, what I mean, why is it why is it like it is? We have friends like Cleaner and things like that. So to have him come on and add some clarity and I mean, just obviously he's living in a different stratosphere and it's it's just it's beautiful to see. Absolutely, like he said, man, he people are happy for guys like that. You know what I mean? I'm ecstatic for that dude. That I mean, he had no business like even hitting us up like hey man let me come on like yeah they approached us actually and it was i was quite surprised and you know i i was familiar with him so i followed him on socials and stuff and then when i really started to do like research i was like blown away with where this guy's been and his experiences and for him to be able to come on and share those experiences with us and our listeners is i mean it's it's truly one of the favorite things i've ever done with this podcast and and I mean and I'm not just saying this, but as a comparison, but in the card world, I mean that's Jordan. Yeah. I mean I'm just I mean he's top of the food chain. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There there is no one even close, really. Man, that was that was awesome, Barry. Why don't you go ahead and take us home, brother? Absolutely. You know, again, uh, I want to thank Ken Golden for coming on, blessing us with his time. Uh, much pre hopefully he'll come back on you know he may might have hated it so much he'll come back on but uh <laughs> but yeah man now again like he said i'm i'm looking forward to the future of this card game and uh we're in it deep so of course uh at bfrost 28 is my twitter eric drop the credentials sir you can follow me on Twitter at EricBrown740, but of course, always follow the show on Twitter and Instagram by searching at Doing the Favor. Go to our website, DoingTheFavor.com, past episodes, links to merch, all that good stuff. Thank you guys all so much that support us. We've done four podcasts in four days now, so I'm going to get off here and I'm going to uh, have some wine and watch some wrestling and relax. Absolutely, man. And with that, good night and God bless. Yeah. Peace. It goes one, two, three into the foe. Erica Berry, you're up with ETF, and that's for show. If you don't come correct, you get your ass full. So take a minute and chill until the next episode. Doing the favor, always bringing the heat. That's why Barry got your girl doing legwork in the sheets. My dude Eric holding down for the streets. Them Ohio players got the ears to the beat. Gotta say that we appreciate the time Whether you're on the job or trying to unwind Just a few more days until we're back live Shit, we'll be your lifeline I know you feel me on the mic with the flavor Let it marinate in something to savor We ball so hard, this is a layup Until the next time, doing the favor Yeah, doing the favor Doing the favor. Uh, doing the favor. Until next time, doing the favor.